Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 207 and this episode is with the first team sports scientist at Watford Football Club, Lee Stafford. Lee came on and we discussed monitoring and amending training prescription throughout the season. We spoke about some key points of data that inform his practice. We also spoke about how the style of play of the team or the game model impacts his approach. And we also touched on load monitoring and how to analyse data as well. Now, just before we get into the podcast, I just want to make it clear that when we recorded this episode, it probably wasn't the easiest time for Lee because he was actually in between managers at the club. So some of the questions I was asking that were sort of referencing towards a manager it was a hard time to answer them but I think he did a great job in terms of talking about it from his situation his role and his approach that he takes so just bear that in mind when he is talking about certain aspects especially especially the style of play um, because it was a time where the club were in between head coaches or managers before we get into the episode with Lee I just want to give a heads up we've got a networking event that we've now confirmed on Thursday the 27th of October at West Bromwich Albion from 6 till 9pm. We're going to be at the stadium at the Hawthorns with Tony Strubwick, Tom Page and Matt Bickley are all going to be presenting for us at that event. As this podcast goes out, there are early bird tickets still available for the event, so make sure you head over to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab and you'll be able to grab yourself one of the tickets at the early bird price for that event. We also are very close to just confirming, just putting the final details on two more events to come before the end of the year as well. So keep an eye out for those. I did ask last week as well for everyone to leave a iTunes review. I'm just going to read one of the reviews out now. So the title is Five Star. I'm new to the podcast and Ben is doing a great job in producing content for all practitioners working within sport. This is now on my top podcast to listen to when I have spare time and increasing my knowledge. So as I mentioned on last week's episode, if you do leave us a podcast review like that, please screenshot it and email it to mail at footballfitfed.com or you can send it on social media at footballfitfed and we'll send you out a free copy of one of our eBooks as a thank you. So just go over to iTunes and click the five stars, leave us a short review and also, if you could do the same over on Spotify, but that isn't actually a written review, it's just clicking the five stars, I really would appreciate it. Now, last order of business before we dive into the episode with Lee, I've got to say a huge thank you to our sponsors. First up, Valve Performance. Valve systems are used by more than 1,600 of the world's most elite sporting teams, high-performance academies, strength and conditioning departments, and personal trainers to accurately measure human movement, performance, and rehabilitation. Enhance your training with objective data and measure what matters most with an integrated suite of human measurement technologies. For when accuracy matters, visit valdperformance.com for more information on Vald Systems. And we'll also attach in the show notes the link to the Vald website as well. Also, a huge thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction for recovery? Hytro have developed the world's first BFR wearable, unlocking the recovery benefits of BFR to support athletes. BFR is no longer just one-on-one physio or rehab. 
Hytro allows teams to use this safe and scalable sports BFR device post-exercise to dramatically enhance recovery. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel or in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously, safely and more conveniently than ever before. Check them out at hytro.com or you can email Warren on warren at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your athletes a competitive edge. And again, we'll attach the link to the Hytro website in the show notes. So thank you to all our sponsors. And just finally, huge thank you to Rezzle as well. And let's get into episode 207 with Lee Stafford. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 207. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by first team sports scientist at Watford, Lee Stafford. Lee, how are we? All good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all, mate. This has been a long time coming, this one, hasn't it? We've been back and forth trying to fit it in. We've finally managed it. So thank you very much for coming on, mate. No problem. Thanks for having me, mate. Let's um, kick it off, Lee. I've just mentioned your current title, First Team Sports Science at Watford, but can you take us back? Can you give us the journey that led up to that role? Yeah, for sure. So um, I think with all sports science and strength and conditioning, I actually started as an intern. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to, uh, to go down to Bournemouth. Uh, so I worked as a placement student at Bournemouth and predominantly worked in the academy. Um, I worked with uh, Ben Bradley, who was the head of sports science and at the time, uh, he it was actually just himself uh, running it. So, you know, when I when I started with him, he he'd given me a lot of responsibility straight off the bat. Um, you know, fresh out of well, fresh in university still, um, and and really keen and eager to you know help the program and learn under him. Um, had a fantastic year there. Um, learned absolute tons. Um, and you know, in terms of sports science and conditioning. Um, and his avenue was was maturation, so it was it was the perfect way to start, um, in my opinion. And obviously, reflecting back on it, it was it was a great year. Taught me a lot in terms of values, uh, hard work, ethic, um, and obviously, you know, a good foundation. Um, after that, I went back to my third year of university um, and applied for a, an internship at Watford, um, just because I, I needed the experience just to, to progress on. Um, worked with Peter Sharp there and he was fantastic with me as well. Um, I was, I was first team as well for the, that internship, um, and also taught me a completely different set of skills. Um, from then I was just graduating and they were, well, they offered me an interview for the under 21s role that they were opening up, um, managed to get that and did two years of, uh, of work with the under 21s, worked some really good coaches. Um, same with with Pete Sharp. Um, you know, taught me a lot on in the first few years and 
obviously in the first few years you're starting out and, and sort of learning the trade a little bit more. Um, and it was, yeah, it was fantastic really. Um, and since then the, the first team had, had asked me then to, to move up. So this is now my fifth season working in the first team. Um, and yeah, in terms of what I've covered so far has is, is been, has been excellent. I started with rehabs and started with a gym prescription and, and similar things, uh, and then moved on to, to, you know, detailed load monitoring, and then now sort of helping to plan uh, the weeks as they go, load prescription, alternating loads, and and likewise, you know, uh, other challenges. Brilliant. And you, you said about obviously getting experience at academy, then under 21s, then first team, and, and some of the skills that you learned along that way. How did they differ? Because this is something we spoke about a lot on the podcast, like how did they differ from academy to first team to twenty ones? Like, what were the different skills you developed? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you start working in an academy, um, you know, you think that the standard might be might be easier, but it's a completely different set of skills. You have to have a few more soft skills at the start. Um, you know, relationships with with trying to work with players at different ages. Um, you know, the attention span of a nine-year-old is completely different to an attention span of an under-18. Under um, so I think it's just your basic soft skills, really. Um, and then as you work into more sort of like practitioner skills is is learning how to coach different athletes at different levels, how, how to apply, obviously, the baseline science and everything, but also just how to make people tick at different levels, understanding load capacity, where people should be in terms of their age groups, how you can individualize, you know, in terms of working with the maturation uh, and how to how to individualize in, in strength on the pitch as they're going through different age brackets. Um, and I think, yeah, when when you obviously progress into slightly older athletes and guys that are in the under 21s, completely different. Um, and that's a whole new challenge in itself. And especially when you are young yourself and you're coaching guys that are two, three years younger than you, you know, there's that sort of, you might not be taken seriously at first, you know, so you have to get that right. Um, and that's what I found in like my early career was, um, you know, understanding the athlete, having the soft skills to approach them, to get them to do, you know, the exact programs you want and, you know, how to, how to approach them as people as well as athletes. Because I know, obviously, there's hard skills involved in each of those levels as well that we, we need to develop as practitioners. And I'm sure people know the differences between sort of academy and first team. But just on that as well, was there a time when you were working with those different ages when you got that exposure where you were like, no, it's first team where I want to be because, well, whatever reason that was? Yeah, absolutely. I think when I started working in the under-18s uh, at Bournemouth, I really enjoyed my time there, um, but I sort of not wanted more, but I sort of wanted to work with the guys who were, you know, doing this day in, day out and, you know, performing on a Saturday. It mattered. You know, they were really professional about their jobs. Not that the, the young guys weren't, but it was just a, a whole step above in terms of how elite, you know, the first team lads are. Um, and I think through that journey, when you work with the under 21s, the difference when they train with the first team. And that sort of made me think, okay, now I, I want to work with obviously the best level of elite athlete I can. Um, and that's not, 
you know, to to shoot anyone down because, you know, for me, that's my personal preference in in working in first team football. Um, and I can completely see why people work in academy football. Um, but that was sort of the recognition of why I thought, you know what, I want to work with uh, the first team players um, because I also think my skill set can work better with that as well. Yeah, 100%. Now that, it's an important thing, especially for young coaches to hear, isn't it? There's not one way or one career path for coaches. I think it's being aware, like you've just mentioned, of your skill set, but also what what is required at those different age groups as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think the academy coaches that I've come across are fantastic. And some of them are leaps and bounds above me because they have a completely different skill set. And some of them don't want to work in first team football because it's not all about working with the highest level. And that just felt like my skill set was tailored to working with those personalities slightly more. Um, And like I said, I've worked with some fantastic people that I probably will never get near their careers uh, in academy football. Yeah, brilliant. Well, you mentioned about how your role was transitioned over time so more of a rehab focus initially and then now looking more into I'm trying to I'm trying to not use low monitoring because Matt Taberner at our recent um, meeting was talking about training prescription so I'm trying to get myself into into this um, phrase of training prescription but I'm definitely going to keep saying low monitoring um, but essentially that looking into data and, and um, prescribing um, load for, for players as well so where did that come from? Where did that trans- transition come from? Was that, was that changes in staff? Was that just naturally how things transitioned? What, what, how did that come about? So uh, initially, when I was working in the under 21s, um, you take more of like a global approach with working with the strength and conditioning programs, the nutrition and the load monitoring uh, with load prescription as well. Two different things on slightly on a different, on a different edge, but um when I went into the first team, we had a predominant fitness coach who would monitor the load um, and would ask me to help with sort of the day-to-day, you know, like the low-level um, processing. And then from that would ask my opinion, what I thought, uh, how the team looked and, and various different drill analysis. And from that, we sort of had a small team with us that, you know, we would always confer and talk about and say, okay, you know, maybe we need to improve this or change that. Um, then through the years, probably a year and a half later, started working with one of our data scientists, um, and one of the data scientists, he was fantastic, very good guy, very good at his job. Um, then he moved on. And from that, it was almost sort of like handed to me, um, to take over in that aspect. And two and a half years later, um, you know, I'm still, still doing it and still working with, whether that may be the fitness coach that comes in or one of us guys that will, will help out with the, the manager to in order to improve that process. So, Real. And then in terms of um, how you go about monitoring, but also amending this prescription for players across, we were just talking before we started recording about this season and all the challenges that you're facing. Um, I'm sure there's a the whole planning in pencil comes into play and having to amend things all the time. So what are some key factors that influence that? Yeah, for sure. I think um, one thing we're quite big on is different load groups. So the guys that are obviously in high match minutes, the guy that are com- the guys that are coming on, 
um, and playing maybe 30, 45 minutes a game or there or thereabouts. And then you've got the guys that, that don't play. Um, I think managing those schedules uh, is really important. So we usually tend to have uh, like a load prescription for the week that we want guys to try and follow. And that then falls into categories of A, B and C. So the guys that, you know, are the match minutes guys that are playing two, two games a week, they almost speak for themselves. Um, we, we rarely have to amend that. Um, some training days they miss for an extra day, but then we try and top them up in a different way. Um, likewise, the B group that plays some or some minutes, we then have to manage that in between games. Um, and likewise, the C group, um, you know, it depends on the match day, the next week, the previous week, the chronic load. Um and the phase that they're about to go into. So we like to obviously have everyone prepared always for, for you know, a 90-minute match at least. Um, you know, sometimes having guys ready for double game weeks consistently. Um, you know, sometimes it's tough when you haven't got a minute in the tank or some of the guys haven't played minutes for, you know, two, three weeks and you're trying to get extra sessions and extra strength sessions. It is tough, but I think... You have to look at your periodization model, look at the fixtures and, and try and incorporate the best way of loading them high enough to then deload them on certain days to then spike. And then obviously I say spike to, to increase their load. Whereas I think the match guys are, are almost like self-sufficient in some sort of way. In terms of those minutes when you've got players not completing full games and there's going to be different minutes involved with those sorts of players. Do you have a set structure you revert to or is it taking it case by case with each player? So typically we would have um, sort of like baselines and um, like prescriptive loads that we want the guys to hit week to week. So usually we would adapt the training load or the training session or the, the top-up sessions relative to that. Um, for example, if we had a soft minus one or minus two, uh, we might throw different elements of conditioning in there, likewise on the match day um, after the game. So depending on how the last sort of two, three days have looked, we might then try and sort of work the opposite to the, the last two, three days to increase different uh, conditioning strategies, uh, whether that be more extensive high speeds, uh, more like HML efforts, more intermittent sprints. Um, and, and we would sort of adjust that. So we look at the training load uh, of the guys probably five, six times a week um, because we more or less know what happens, you know, on certain days. But for the rest of the days, we're trying to just keep them in almost like a sweet spot, but not a sweet spot, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Our, um, our community members have a lot of discussions around sort of top-up runs and um structuring those and the way they go about them like what's your what tends to be your approach to that yeah i think it's sort of dependent like on, on your schedule and your structures um obviously we know that they're not the easiest session to complete um so we we try and make it fairly short and sweet um so we basically call it a cocktail molotov uh where they basically work three different blocks and all of these three different blocks have a portion of high speed sprint, HMO efforts, Axel D cell, um, and, and various other metrics. So we almost cram a running block 
together and based on your minute approach you're then given one two or three blocks uh and this is almost just like a an accepted value now you know for example you're gonna gonna get 15 minute portion of the game you're even gonna get a 30 minute portion of the game or you're gonna get a 45 minute portion of the game or you know based on a different day maybe more um but that's how we, we've sort of worked it Okay, Brill. Nice. There'll be plenty. Of, um, we'll be trying to replicate that, I'm sure. <laughs> um, just on the on the data side of things, Lee, as well. Again, this is a conversation we've had a lot. There's a lot we can collect. There's a lot out there. How do you watch? How do you go about prioritizing what you're going to use and what's going to re- make real impact to your approach? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's something that obviously when you're monitoring and looking at obviously the training sessions you do have to sort of figure out yourself but something that we've we've sort of um gravitated towards was having a set weekly structure of metrics so we look at the periodization in for example eight metrics and you can obviously see the undulations and obviously the the peaks in some days and whatnot but we also try and look at key metrics for certain days so on a minus four we might have completely different analysis metrics relative to a minus two because we're not aiming to hit, for example, on the minus two loads of uh, high metabolic load efforts. So we don't want the repeated sprint ability. We don't want those intermittent uh, exercises. We want sort of steady paced, low level uh, tapering strategy. Whereas on a minus four, we want it really intensive, loads of uh, high metabolic load efforts, some repeated sprint ability um, and sort of we'd cater and look for different metrics on different days. Um, likewise, when we analyze certain drills, um, we would look, you know, relatively in terms of meters per minute, um, how the lads are relative to their match performance and, and then obviously map that in different drills. But we've actually started to, over the past year and a half, is map different metrics against each other um so i started working with uh, miguel angel campos um fantastic guy uh, and he sort of opened up this this sort of like vision and, and on tableau and he's got some fantastic fantastic ideas that um i've started to play around with now and and it, for me it's fantastic going on tableau and, and and inventing different different ways to view the metrics and interactions so We've, we've sort of started, well, he's been doing it a while, but I've sort of started on this pathway now where I might look at metrics relative to each other. So, for example, um, you know, high-speed running and high metabolic load efforts to see if they're correlated because it's very different if we're working when we've got 400 metres of high speed, but the guys are doing it in four efforts. Mm. I mean, you can do that in three minutes, but... Mm. We want to work relative to when the guys are working in in the match. So some days we might look at the high metabolic load efforts versus the high speed sprint. So therefore we get a good profile of where we are relative to a game. There isn't a better time than now to become a member of our online community because we're uploading so much great content from our meetings. If you're not able to make our networking events, the presentations for those events get uploaded onto the community. We've got some brilliant information around webinars, Q&As. There's all sorts of information now available on the community. 
The good news is, if you're not already a community member, you can go to footballfitfed.com, click the, the community tab on the website, sign up there. That will give you one month free on our community so you can see what it's all about. After that free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward. And you'll also, when you become a full member, you get access to our members WhatsApp group where there's always great conversations going around um, around everything to do with physical development um, and testing. There's been a lot of chat around um, monitoring, data, all sorts of great conversations recently as well. So you can join loads of practitioners from right across the world of football all in one place. So make sure you go and claim your free month at footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign yourself up there. Once you've done that, make sure you head over and check out our sponsors. Val Performance are doing some brilliant work around testing and monitoring. We had them at our most recent event up at Celtic and they did some demonstrations on the kit for us. And another practitioner's got a lot of value out of that. And I know that they're in a lot of clubs now um, across the football football league, up to Premier League and down at all different levels as well. So make sure you go and check out the equipment that they've got available. Um, the, the fastest, most accurate and efficient testing equipment out there. Just search Vald underscore performance over on social media and you'll keep up to date with everything they've got going on. Let's get into part two of the podcast with Lee Stafford. And then you just mentioned the game there. So in terms of sort of game style, game model, can you can you give a little bit of breakdown on, on how the club approach that and also how that then um, determines what you do and the approach you take? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously when the manager comes in, we obviously want to mirror and, you know, suit his style of play as best as possible. So I think the the key conversations around that is obviously understanding the philosophy, the methodology, uh, when the aggression comes in in the physical uh, outputs, when to press, when to recover. Um, so we try and map that in uh, drills, and we're quite lucky that the manager plays in a lot of relative drills in terms of where the guys are on the pitch. So tactically, which which definitely helps because train an absolute in a in a possession where everyone more or less may have the same metrics is quite tough to to push the guy so we have a, a very nice system where we train relative in positional specifics so the guys are getting very good intensity bouts on the minus four and minus three relative to the distances they'll be covering in games the repeated sprint abilities everything like this so getting a lot of specifics in definitely helps us to maintain consistency uh, for each position. So they're, for example, getting 70% of a game um, throughout the week or something like that, that everyone is more or less at 70% of their match performance because of the relativity in the positional specific training. And how would you sort of define the, the game style? I know that there's probably a lot of people that have watched the team this year. Like um, what sort of things are, are jumping out from the technical side that, that impact what you do? So I think it's quite interesting because um, last year our, our possession and, and tactical it was completely different to this year. Uh, this year, you know, we're a possession-based team um, and sort of in our physical eyes, we want to be really, um, you know, capable of extensive sprints, counter-attacks, uh, as well as obviously utilising patterns as, you know, as aggressive as possible. Um, but from that, we then 
just try and, and push the guys as much as possible, ready for whatever model the manager wants to then, um, you know, play with that week, whether that means that we're playing a different formation, but always having the guys at a high capacity to sprint Axel D-cell and repeat that over a number of minutes. Yeah, so there's, there's standards that you're trying to hit regardless, but then yeah. you mentioned about being at the club for five years. So as well as formation changes and things like that, there's also going to be manager changes along the way. And I don't expect you to sort of name names and dig people out, but in terms of styles, I'm guessing there's been some quite different styles and how much does that have an impact or is it a case of you still hitting those, those basics you're trying to get the players to do? Yeah, I think styles are massive, obviously on the physical outputs of the games and, and what you, you know, how you analyze the game after. Um, Whereas last year we were, because we weren't pushing high in the table, um, more or less we were a counter-attacking team. Didn't have much possession, especially against big teams. Uh, so that massively influences our, our style of play and massively influences our physical data. So our extensive sprints may not be as, as, as many, but we might be having to sprint further. So mm-hmm. it depends on how we analyse the games. If we're, for example, doing more extensive recovery runs, uh, when we lose possession or, or likewise that we're counter-attacking. So in our eyes, we're trying to, to, to push the guys as far as possible in terms of how extensive our sprints are um, and then also contrast into our repeated sprint ability, obviously, to, to defend. Um, but in, in our eyes, we try and push them to their, their physical ceilings regardless. Uh, and then however that mirrors in the match performance then um, you know we're happy with as long as the, the manager's happy with the, the physical performance. And and do you see a change when when changes happen sort of mid-season when you're in the flow of things and maybe unexpected sometimes as well. And then there's different different lows that then go on to the players from different slightly different demands of, of styles and things. Is that does that do you see a big impact with that or or not so much and just again reverting back to what you're doing? Yeah, similarly to be fair. Um We've noticed it a little bit this year um, in the championship, for example, when we've played a different model and a different style, when we're three at the back, um, for example, our our centre-backs don't often sprint in in high speeds. Um, And I think that's based on being more of a possession-based team this year, having more of a physical dominance or a dominance in the league. We hope that, um, you know, this may influence how much we have the ball, how many times the guys have to turn, open their shoulders and sprint behind us is, is completely different to last year. Um, so we've noticed a, a massive difference in the physicality data from our defenders, for sure. Um, but it depends on the system, whether the guys are, are four at the back or uh, and three and, and five in the middle. It completely depends on on how that is situated or how the manager wants them to play that week. But yeah, it differs differs week to week. Real. And then and obviously the other side of data that we've just touched on is the analysis and also presenting things back to coaches and players and all the rest of it. What tends to be your approach with that in terms of that presentation? Um, I know I've spoken to a lot of people that take different approaches. It always depends on, on coaches and what they want to see. But what tends to be some of the patterns that, uh, of you presenting that back? Yeah, so uh, in terms of presentations, we've gone through you know several reports in our time, and people want different things. So some people just want basic numbers, 
um, which is which is absolutely fine for us. Um, and they just want to see sort of like a, a general feedback with, you know, how the guys are comparing against each other. Some want visual feedback, but I think the the best way is just to have simplistic feedback and just good visuals that you know you can see for example relative to match performance and likewise um then just have like a basic set structure of what they achieved in different metrics um within for games we send the the lads the the report from the team uh totals in each area um so then the lads can also see that and just have a bit of transparency um we don't want to keep any data from the lads in terms of you know if they've had a, a great game or a poor game we're going to report it the same so having sort of that that feedback and transparency is is key for us just to say for example okay we were low on total distance this week or we were high in sprint values this week um and we sort of want to just remain consistent with the way that we present everything um and and if we improve or we decrease one week then obviously people know that within the team as well um it may be tactical so we're not looking to hammer anyone or not looking to you know pass blame or anything it is what it is it's the context of the match uh it depends on obviously how the match is going it completely affects the physical data so you have to take it with a pinch of salt as well sometimes and on that as well do you feel like play, players are much more well educated on that now that they understand you could give them a data point and they'd sort of get they understand it a lot better than seeing it as like, oh, whether it be a punishment or whatever, you feeding that back. Like, do, what's the sort of perspective from a player's point point of view? Yeah, I think it's tough because um, they know we have weekly loads and, and prescriptions to hit. Uh, so I don't think the lads like the live iPad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've had a few balls flying over towards me. Uh, <laughs> with that one. But no, in terms of in terms of how the lads understand the data, I think they do really they really get it, um, which does help us. And the lads are always asking for the data, um, you know, to see individual performances, team performances, um, and that's that's not to call anyone out. It's just to have sort of that relation to the game to see how that was physically for them. Um, so some guys might straight after a game how my numbers and want to see it straight away because they may feel that you know tactically they might have been not as on it as the day and, and then how that reflects in their data if they have to do recovery runs if they're playing against someone superior or inferior against them how that impacts them uh so i think it's it, it's at a good point most of our lads are, are bought into it and, and they understand you know a lot about the data and their their high speeds, their sprints, their their efforts in games. So I think I think they're they're well understood with it. Awesome. I wanted to touch on something that we just spoke about before we started recording, which I'm sure this conversation is going to come up time and time again over the next few weeks. But the World Cup is fast approaching. Um, what are your sort of thoughts going into that time? Obviously, a very weird season with the break mid-season. Um, I know we were talking before about certain amount of players being away and certain staying. Like, what are your general thoughts around that? Yeah, so I, I think, obviously, for us, we might not have too many going to the World Cup. I think we may have three, I believe. Um, but from that, obviously, we want to be, you know, transparent with the player and sort of say, look, 
we should build you a good chronic load going into the World Cup because you're going to have you know a quick turnaround in game. So, you know, I think it's just being honest with the with the players that are going into the World Cup to say, okay, if we're underloading you or you're underloaded going into the World Cup, you know, you might have a, a slightly poorer recovery between games. So, uh, for us, maybe that's a conversation that we will have. Um, and in terms of the other guys and the, and the training loads. I think it would be difficult because of the, you know, the four weeks off or however that may be. Um, so we've had a conversation about it, um, but obviously we'll, we'll sort of have to play it by ear in a certain way because, you know, some guys we might deload and some guys we might try and obviously peak for the, the latter part of it based on how many minutes they've played, their chronic loads that they've, you know, they've achieved. Um but I think it's so important to have time off and time off the feet as well um, because, you know, it is a long season. Um, you know, we had nine games in, in four or five weeks, in five weeks even. So, you know, it's, it's double game weeks pretty much every week. So the guys do need time off. Um, and I think we really, really need to value that as well. Um, not only for the monotony and everything, but for, you know, the mental side of it is... You know they'll come back in a fresher, uh, fresher state, um, and you know appreciate the work more and 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 value sort of the higher sessions in order to to get more days off. And has there has been any thoughts or even contact from the um, international um, associations, coaches around preparing players for the heat over there as well? Uh, at the moment, we haven't had that conversation. Um, mm. In terms of where the guys are at the moment, most of them have gone away with internationals, uh, um, which is which does sort of help because they almost have a plan and strategy. Um, but in terms of with us at the moment, we haven't we haven't had direct contact with obviously the heat acclimation stuff. But yeah, it's a it's a fantastic way to to prep some of the guys definitely. It's just how I suppose how that falls alongside because you're going to be playing games right up to when they go, aren't you? So. Um, how that sort of falls alongside the normal season whilst preparing for that in the background. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliantly. Really, really appreciate you going through all that, mate. Let's get into some of the quick fire questions that we always finish the podcast with. So the first is, who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? I would say uh, in the early part, uh, definitely Ben Bradley at Bournemouth. Uh, he was He was fantastic for me. Uh, Peter Sharp when I came to Watford uh, and still he's come back now to Watford so uh, speak with him a lot very good guy um, I also have a good relationship with Miguel Angel Campos um, he helped me a lot with with Tableau and I think that's a skill set that everyone should learn so I'm I'm very grateful for him showing that work to me because I know a lot of people if they have some very, very good work might not want to share it, um, but literally sent me everything and yeah, was it was fantastic for me. So I think those three guys, obviously I've had a lot of, of great, great people I've worked with. So, you know, it's hard to name any more, but well, hard not to, but yeah. Real. What would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? So I think... Uh, understanding the personal side of it um you know we we bang on about load and and everything like that but everyone knows that when you go you try and get a, an athlete to sprint 
or to perform certain amount of high speed efforts and things like this that sometimes when it's done at 10 percent quality it's actually sometimes not worth it so understanding the person behind the athlete um and how to get the best out of them and i feel like we do um and i think that's something that we do quite well is you know have good relationships with the guys and they push for us yeah that, that's truly tested on the post-game runs i suppose as well yeah. relationship. <laughs> for sure um i always ask about what your top advice would be so taking lee a good few years back now starting out what would be your advice to him i think i would i would say to invest more time in sort of my cpd when i was young i was trying to learn the job and and trying to to do a lot for myself then and there but i think getting more qualifications um reading a lot more um would, would have been would have been some very good advice to a young me but i think i've started to realize that the more i reflected so completely changed the way obviously um that i have been in the last sort of three four years but yeah definitely invest in yourself and uh, yeah believe in yourself that's really interesting because a lot of people actually not say it the other way around, but they say how important it is the other way around. The fact that you've got the experience and got into working um, always tends to be the advice. So you feel like the, the sort of qualifications and all that side was was something that you could have done a bit more of? Kind of. It was more I was lucky enough to get into a role, but I was so focused on working in the role at the time and, and trying to perfect that that, you know what, I wanted to do a master's and I was sort of annoyed that I didn't get to do one straight after university. Um, and so maybe I should have started earlier and started on different, you know, accreditations and everything. But um, I sort of coasted for two years just in the job I was in. Um, but I sort of wished that I was working alongside the job. Um, mm. But yeah, it, it's a tough one because I do agree, get experience first as, as much as you can and then learn along the way. So I wouldn't change a thing. Awesome. And you just mentioned CPD. So the last question I always ask is, your, what's your approach? How do you go about continually developing as a practitioner? So uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, we started to develop a, like an internship program here. So with the guys that, that are here for the year, we, uh, we give them certain presentations, uh, we run through certain tests, and then uh, that gives us quite a good opportunity to do roundtables, talk about certain subjects and and basically influence and, and try and encourage, you know, the teaching aspect from our side, which then pushes our standards on to know our stuff, to then obviously be ready for questions and, and everything like that. But I think my next step personally would be to, to look at more research um, and to, to actually go into some research and, and use that sort of in the workplace to then obviously push myself on as well. Brilliant, mate. Really, really appreciate you coming on, Lee. That's been quality, some great information. Uh, in terms of people reaching out, if they've got questions or anything like that, are you, do you use social media? Uh, I'm quite quiet on social media, to be fair. Um, I think probably the most active I'll be on is LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, so people can, can shout out to me on LinkedIn if they want to, um, just Lee Stafford. Perfect. Lee, thanks a lot for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to episode 207 and big thanks to Lee for coming on the podcast. Like I said, it wasn't probably the best time to get Lee on um, because it was in between managers. It, I know it was hard for him to touch on certain topics, but I really appreciate him coming on and chatting the way he did. I know there was some great takeaways still in that episode for people. So please give it a share. Um, you can reach out to Lee as well. He's over on Twitter at Lee Stafford. SS Sports Science. Um, so go and give him a shout out on there. And when you share the podcast, please tag him in with us as well. I really would appreciate that. Takeaways on this one. It was interesting to get Lee's perspective on the first team to academy skill set and the different skills that are required working with different players of different ages, which you touched on a, touched on a few times before. Um, Lee obviously said that as soon as he got that exposure to first team level that's where he felt his skill set was more suited which I, I think is completely fair enough and I, I just on this point I know I've made it quite a few times on the podcast I just want to open up practitioners minds to there isn't just a natural development path for coaches you don't have to go academy to first team we've had some brilliant practitioners on that are working in academy football and have been for a long time because it's suited to to their style. The, the likes of Matt Allen, Matt Allen, uh, Pordy Rosh, who, who've been on the podcast recently. Um, obviously, Pordy's now gone on to work at First Team, but um, he was in academy football for a long time, and he felt like the, the skills could really be utilised in that area. So, and then Lee gave a great point in terms of why his were more suited for First Team. So, I just want to open people's minds up to that and get you starting to think about it, especially if you're a young practitioner, um, just listen to some of these podcasts and maybe have a think about where, where your skill set is best suited. I, I love his um, analogy about the Molotov cocktail of runs that he's got for his players post-game. Um, I know it's a topic that a lot of people get hung up on, on what, do you do, what approach do you take after the game and... Um, yeah, when I was chatting to Lee after it, I said to him that it's a question that we get quite a lot in terms of what runs to do. And essentially, when you start looking around and watching people, a lot of people doing similar sort of similar sort of things. Um, also, we spoke about data and where his focus lies in terms of the, the data that's available. And he made a great point that these, the focus of data or where they do focus their energy changes on a, on a daily basis, depending on where they're at in the week, obviously what when the games are fitting within the week. So it's not as if they're just focusing on two, three um, data sets. It, it does fluctuate, it changes depending on where they are, where they're sitting in the week and even in the season as well. Um, also just how we feed back data to individuals. It's a really important point because every everyone's a bit everyone's different. Um, we've got people that would be very visual. Some people that would be probably good listeners and just want to hear the data. Um, some people might want to get into a conversation about it. Some people might literally just want numbers spouting out at them. Um, you've got to try and think about how the approach or what the approach is you take with different individuals to suit what they want to get out of it. So loads in this one for me. I, I, and again, thank you to Lee for coming on the podcast. I've been trying to line this one up for a while now. So I really appreciate him coming on, coming on and giving up his time. I hope you enjoyed it. Please, as always, give us a share over on social media. It really does help grow the show. And like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, if you haven't done it already, head over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, little short comment, 
But once you've done it, screenshot it, send it to mail at fitfed, uh, footballfitfed.com and um, we will send you out a free ebook of ours as a thank you as well. Just before I let you go, make sure you go and check out some of the brilliant work being done by our sponsors, Vald Performance and Rezzel, both doing some incredible work. So check, um, just head into the show notes. You can go onto the websites and see some of the work that they're doing. But please support our sponsors as well because they make this show happen. So a big thank you to them. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 208.